Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSight News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. So good to be with you. God is on his throne. I know it doesn't seem like that, but he absolutely is. He's in the same place now that he was when his son was on the cross dying for our sins. He never leaves his throne. He never ceases to be God. And he's perfect in all his ways, including what he allows and I think what he is allowing now these days is a tremendous amount of evil uh, to show us in part, only in part, what the world and the nature of fallen man is without his grace. He has not fully removed his grace from us, but uh, even Romans chapter 1 says that uh, he will remove his spirit and we will see what we truly are apart from God. I think it is God himself who is uh, allowing uh, a degree of evil uh, in the world that shows us, uh, that should make us tremble to see what we are apart from him. But he is on his throne, beloved, and every um, everything he allows he works together for good. And how is all this mess, uh, how will it work together for good? Well, it will lead to the triumph of Our Lady's miraculous heart. Miraculous heart, uh, immaculate heart, I should say. Our Lady's immaculate heart. And bring his kingdom about on earth. But he's giving us the opportunity first to repent, to come to our senses. So do not despair. This is a time to never give in to never lose hope, but to grow in holiness and be uh, uh, live our calling, be what God has uh, created us to be, truly his children who reflect his love, who reflect his grace, his holiness, his wisdom um, in all that we do, in all that we don't do. Um, we're going to continue this morning with the Catechism Explained uh, so that we grow deep in our faith, and I would truly urge, as I have before, all of you, if you can, to get that book. It is the Council of Trent, uh, explained by Reverend Sparago, published by Mediatrics Press, and there are other catechisms to get, and they're good. I don't uh, there's, I, I don't uh, have a negative review on any of them, including the catechism that came about following Vatican II, but the Council of Trent, and again, as you know, the Vatican II was not a doctrinal council, it was a pastoral council, and um, uh, it, it did not, nor can it, negate anything from the Council of Trent, because that is true. And so, if you truly want to know the faith in its fullness and its essence, I would get the Council of Trent. The Catechism of uh, the Catechism explained does not is not titled the Council of Trent, but that's what it is. 
And again, it was a doctrinal council that corrected the errors following the Reformation. And everything in it is true today. And it is somewhat on the order of the Baltimore Catechism uh, with questions and answers. But it explains it uh, beautifully. And it is a wonderful catechism for families. So we are now today on, we're looking at the Trinity and we're looking at now, actually you've just completed yesterday, the section on the Blessed Trinity. And we're looking now at the very essence, the very being uh, of God, the divine essence. And Reverend Sparago says what God is in his divine nature or essence is known to us partly from created things, but more clearly from his revelation of himself. St. Paul tells us that the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That's Romans 1 verse 20. And Romans 1 verse 19, just before that, uh, tells us that the knowledge of God is put within us, every single creature, not the special revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ or his written word, but the very knowledge of the existence of God is within us. And beloved, that's why um, there are thousands, thousands of religions, not only 40,000 plus Protestant denominations, but every sort of religion on earth, because God, this is me speaking now, not Reverend Spirago, because God has put the knowledge of himself within us so we are born knowing that there is a supreme being and we are born longing to know him and be known by him and be loved by him and to love him that's in our very nature and so uh, every single religion established by man is man's effort to get back to god that from whom we were separated by the original sin the fall Every single religion from time immemorial, right from day one, is man's creation to get back to God. But man cannot get to God on his own. And so in an amazing, astounding, uh, infinitely condescending and humble act of love, God came to us. God became man to bring us back to God. We cannot get to God. And so God came to us. It's our only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. There's no way to the Father but by our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the head of his church. We are his body. He, are, he is the head. He did not establish an invisible body of believers, but a city set on a hill. He established the Catholic, meaning universal church. And... Um, he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And being a member of that body and that church, the Catholic Church, is the only way to the Father. The only way to the Father. There's not any other way. And Protestants believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But they separate him from his church, from the Catholic Church, which he established and teach that God established not an organization, not an institution, not a city set on a hill, but an invisible body of believers. 
but that invisible body of believers has split over 40,000 times in 500 years. God is not the author of confusion. That is not what God established. He did establish a body of believers just as in the old covenant. He established his people, Israel, from whom the Messiah would come. And they were his kahal, Q no you, Q A H A L in Hebrew, kahal meaning called out ones, his people. And when our Lord came uh, to establish his church, and he said, I, Peter, upon this rock, that's upon Peter, I will build my church, he used the word kahal, his assembly, his called out people. But the, the uh, Greek word, because the common language was Greek, Koine Greek in his day, uh, was ecclesia. Kohol in the Old Testament called out ones, his assembly of uh, his body of believers is ecclesia in the New Covenant. And he took um, his people Israel, through whom the Messiah came to earth, and said, based on you, on you, Ephesians chapter 2, the apostles and prophets I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Israel uh, became uh, the foundation, as it always has been, of God's people throughout the world. And uh, Catholicism, all of true Christianity, is Israel uh, uh, based on its Messiah and spread through the four corners of the earth. The Messiah is not the savior of Israel only, but came through Israel as the savior of the world, as Paul writes in the book of Romans, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So you could say, as uh, Roy Shulman, a beautiful convert from Judaism, says, um, uh, Christianity is post-Messianic Judaism, and it is Judaism uh, fulfilled in its Messiah, spread to the four corners of the earth. It's glorious, beloved. Absolutely glorious that we should be part of that people. Um, and we are chosen in him, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, before the foundation of the world. We are God's people. And I, I pray that every single parent would learn their faith and teach it to their children, that your children don't have a religion. Um, so many Catholics think that they're one denomination among others. This Catholicism is not a denomination. It is the church our Lord founded and for which he gave his life. It is the only way to heaven. Can you be in heaven uh, apart from the Catholic Church? Absolutely not. Those, the Catechism says, who live up to the grace of God they have been given, they can be saved if they respond to that grace of God, but they can only be saved through the church our Lord established, which is his body. He's not disjointed. Christ is our head. We are his body, and they can be saved only through the Catholic Church. There's the music for our first break, dear ones. We'll be right back after the break. We'll continue with the catechism and the divine essence, uh, and then we'll take your calls and your emails after the second break. The toll-free number is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. 
Atheists claim they don't need God to be a good person, implying God's not relevant to morality. But is this true? Well, atheists can be good in the sense of knowing behaviors that respect the goods of human nature and living accordingly. St. Paul acknowledges this natural moral law in Romans chapter 2. But this doesn't mean God is irrelevant when it comes to morality. And here's the reason. Besides God's grace being necessary to live the moral law perfectly and merit heaven, God is necessary for the law to be morally binding. How can the moral law be binding if there's no moral law giver behind it that surpasses human authority? The answer is, it can't. So an atheist can follow the natural moral law, but only the theist is consistent in saying that such a law is morally obligatory. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Many committed Christians hold to this axiom. If it's in the Bible, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, here you go. 1 Timothy 2 states the following about women as related to church life. No braiding the hair, no gold jewelry, no pearls. Just learn in silence and do not teach. Does your pastor comply with these biblical instructions? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, an unpleasant fact. Many self-proclaimed Bible-only churches, sadly, will pick and choose what parts of the Bible are implemented in the life of the church. Secondly, Catholic catechism. Be especially attentive to, quote, the content and unity of the whole scripture. And thirdly, a tough comeback. In order to understand the sacred author's intention, we must take into account culture, audience, and the literary genre. So if your Bible-only church does not strictly obey those instructions, then tell me the reason why. Well, we know, you know, 80% of your church is handled by women. So with those instructions in force, many women will leave your church, maybe even the pastor's wife. Ouch. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live. It's so wonderful to be with you. And we are speaking about God's divine essence from the Catechism Explained by Reverend Sparago. And uh, the first point is that what God is in his divine nature or essence, same words, is known to us partly from created things, but more clearly from his revelation of himself. St. Paul tells us that the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Creation is sort of a mirror that reflects the divine perfections. Thus, from the beauty of things created, we can infer the greater beauty of him who created them. So again, from the order that prevails in the visible world, we can conclude that he who made it is a being of surpassing wisdom. And from its vastness, we learn of the power of him who upholds and supports it. Yet the knowledge thus obtained is always imperfect and obscure. From a beautiful picture, we do not learn much about the character of the painter, in creatures, we see God only as through a glass and in a dark manner. Paul writes that to the Corinthians. The heathens, before the coming of Christ, 
were sunk in the grossest vices, and this darkened their intellect and rendered them still less able to arrive at a knowledge of God from his works. <clears throat> in order to enlighten this ignorance, God revealed himself to men, speaking to them by the mouth of the patriarchs and prophets, and above all, by the mouth of his son, Jesus Christ. It was Christ who gave to men the clearest manifestation of the nature of God. All the rest spoke somewhat obscurely, for none of them had seen God face to face. Even since God's revelation of himself, man is not capable of a thorough or complete knowledge of the nature of God. The reason of this is that God is infinite and man is only finite. Just as we cannot enclose a boundless ocean in a little vessel, so we cannot take in the infinite majesty of God with our finite understanding. Job wrote, Behold, God is great, exceeding our knowledge. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, The things that are of God no man knoweth, except the Spirit of God. We can neither express in words nor conceive in thought what God really is. When the sage Simonides was asked by Hierago, king of Syracuse, what God is, he took first one, then two days to consider the question. Then he requested four days more, then eight, and finally said to the king that the longer he thought about the matter, the more obscure did it become to him. It is easier to say what God is not than what he is. He who attempts to fathom the majesty of God becomes profane. It is told of Icarus in the old mythology that he fastened wings to his sides with wax and attempted to fly up to heaven. But when he came too near the sun, it melted the wax and he fell into the sea and perished. So it is with those who seek to fathom the nature of God. He cast them down into the sea of doubt and unbelief. He who gazes upon the sun becomes dazzled. So it is with those who seek to penetrate into the nature of God. Even the angels veil their faces before God. The most perfect of them cannot comprehend his majesty. They are like a man who looks upon the sea from some high point. He sees the sea, but he does not see the whole of it. How can we expect to reach heights which even the angels cannot attain to? We can only give an imperfect and incomplete explanation of the nature of God. God is a self-existing being. We can say that, self-existent. He's infinite in his perfections and in his glory and beatitude. He's the creator and ruler of the whole world. We know that. When Moses asked Almighty God his name on the occasion of his appearing in the burning bush, God answered, I am who I am. That is to say, I exist in myself. I derive my being from myself. All other beings derive their existence from God, and therefore in comparison of him are as nothing. Hence, David says, my substance is as nothing before thee. God also possesses the highest perfection. We see how some beings upon the earth are more perfect than others. 
Some things have only existence without life, as stones and metals. Others have life but without sensation, as trees and plants. Others have sensation and movement as well, as birds and beasts. Man has a spiritual life with intellect and free will. Above man, there are countless numbers of pure spirits, each with a special perfection of its own, and each increasing in virtue as it ascends toward the throne of God. But they can never arrive at infinite perfection, since the most perfect among them can always attain to some higher excellence. Hence, we must believe in a being of infinite perfection from whom all other things from whom all other beings derive their virtues who possesses god in himself who possesses in himself and who is infinitely exalted beyond all existing or possible perfections that can be found in all other beings than himself nothing greater than god can either exist or even be thought of. God is also infinite in glory and beauty. For if on the earth there exist so many beautiful things, how far greater must be the beauty and glory of God? Since it is he who gave them all their beauty, he could not have given it unless he already possessed it. He is like the boundless ocean. And the beauty of all created things is like a series of drops taken from the ocean. God is also infinite in his supreme happiness or beatitude. He lives in endless and infinite joy. How difficult, beloved, is that to understand in the world that has turned so against him? God lives in endless and infinite joy. No creature can interfere with the perfection of his happiness. Isn't that amazing? Beloved, many things interfere with, the, um, with our happiness because we are so conditioned by circumstances and feelings, but not God. None can either increase or diminish his happiness. 1 Timothy 6.15 As the sun needs no light from other bodies because it is itself the light, so God needs nothing from others because he is himself in possession of all good. We can only give him what we have already received from him. God is the creator of the whole world, of heaven, earth, and sea. He is also the king and lord of all and has made all things outside of himself subject to certain fixed laws. I used to say and hear millions of times in my Protestant years, dear one, I made Jesus Lord of my life. We don't make him anything. He is God and he is Lord. All we can do is bow and become subject to his lordship. We don't make him Lord. The earth, Reverend Sparago continues, is subject to fixed laws. It goes round the sun in 300 and 65 and a quarter days and revolves on its own axis in 24 hours. All the heavenly bodies move according to fixed laws so that we can foretell eclipses of the sun and moon. 
etc. There are laws which regulate all the material things on the face of the earth. Plants, trees, and animals have their growth and development governed by stated laws. The actions of reasonable beings are also governed by laws, which however, by reason of their free will, they are able to disobey. The penalties for transgression are laid down by Almighty God. God is the King of Kings, the Eternal King, says Tobias. The majesty of the greatest of earthly kings is but a feeble and faint reflection of the majesty of God. Hence, we are bound to obey him because he is our king and he will have all subject to him, either willingly in this life or against their will to their eternal misery. The second point of God's divine essence is that we cannot see him. We cannot see God because he is a spirit. That is, he is a being without body. He is immortal, possessed of intellect and free will. Our Lord says through the Gospel of John, God is a spirit. And they that adore him must adore him in spirit and in truth. It is because God is a spirit that the Jews were strictly forbidden to make any image of him. Exodus chapter 20. God cannot be seen by man. There is a veil between us and God. We cannot see the stars during the day, but only when darkness comes on. So we cannot see God during the day of our life on earth, but only when the darkness of death comes over us. In this life, God is a hidden God. Isaiah 45, he inhabits the inaccessible light, 1 Timothy 6. Yet God has often assumed visible forms. Thus he appeared to Abraham as a traveler. At the baptism of our Lord, he appeared under the form of a dove and in the shape of tongues of fire at Pentecost. But the external form under which God appeared was not God himself. In the same way, we often read of the eyes, ears, and so forth of God. But this is only to impress upon us the fact that God sees us, hears us, etc. There is one God and one only. The most perfect being in the world must be only one. The tallest tree in the wood is but one. To say that there are more gods and then one is like saying there could be more than one soul in a human body or more than one captain on a ship. Even the pagan Greeks and Romans honored one God as supreme among the rest. The plurality of gods probably arose from the plurality of the forces of nature, such as thunder, lightning, and fire, etc. And I think I told you that, dear ones when I was in high school, actually, in Toronto, Canada, for high school. That's what our teacher told us, 10th grade. I won't forget it. He said, you children probably were taught to believe in God by your parents. But the fact is that God was the catch-all for what science didn't yet know. So when it thundered, we developed the name for the God of Thunder, Thor. And God is a catch-all for what we don't yet know. 
That's false, beloved. We'll be right back. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for April 28th. Today, we celebrate St. Peter Chanel. Hardships, frustrations, disappointment, and martyrdom mark the final days of Peter Chanel, but he died a happy man. Serving in the foreign missions had long been a dream. Ordained in 1827, Peter was eager to leave his native France and preach the gospel in a far-off land. After joining the Marist congregation and spending several years in various leadership posts, he was assigned to serve in the islands of the South Pacific. Peter and his companions received a warm welcome when they reached the island of Fatuna, but the local natives were misinformed about the nature of their mission. After it became clear that the priests were seeking converts rather than simply trying to learn the local languages and customs, the picture darkened. When the son of the king was among those who requested baptism, he ordered that the missionaries be killed. Peter was clubbed to death. Through his final hours, he maintained his serene and gentle spirit and his courage. Following Peter Chanel's death in 1841, Christianity flourished in the area. He is the first martyr of Oceania and its patron. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Uh, Started drinking beer on Saturday nights. Uh, sleeping in on Sunday mornings, missing Mass, and it just became a pattern and continued. Without God, I don't know where I'd be right now. I feel like I'm whole again. I know the importance of the Eucharist. I know the importance of the sacraments that I didn't know at a young age. I follow God's will because my desire is to get to heaven. Our, Our lives are rich and full by being members of the church. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together, and I love this time. Our lines are wide open, and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Um, and the toll-free number, one 877 5483 or you may email at mother at com. We have an email from someone who writes in anonymously um, and says, could you please repeat again, the church's stance on IVF. Um, She says, my daughter, hold on just a moment. Um, One moment here. Okay, let me just, I want to look up a very, very good article. On, um, on on IVF. Uh, hold on a second. For some reason I just lost my place. Just a moment. We will get there. Okay. Okay, she says, my daughter has eight embryos for 11 years frozen. Just a minute. 
Okay, I'm back. I'm so sorry. I wanted to, uh, I've got a wonderful article on this. Um, and so she says, it's actually a grandmother writing. Uh, could you repeat, repeat again uh, the church's instance on IVF? IVF is intro, uh, inter vitro fertilization. Am I saying that right? In vitro fertilization. My daughter has eight embryos for 11 years frozen. She and her husband underwent an initial procedure, and then her husband had a surgical procedure, which fixed the problem, and they conceived immediately, which was not a guarantee by the doctor. They have two children. They sadly do not want any more, but have been paying to keep these embryos. Well, I tell you, right off, um, if your daughter and her husband are Catholic and are doing anything to prevent having more children, they are in mortal sin because uh, contraception for is, is a grave, grave, grave matter, a grave, grave sin against life. Um, and this one writes, please help and advise what to do. She cannot donate them. Very difficult situation. She's asking me to help her. Thank you. And God bless you. And Anonymous signs this, uh, the grandmother. Um, let me let me um, let me take a little bit of time to answer this um, because it's a Catholic moral teaching that can be very very difficult. Um, and I'm going to read an entire article from Catholic Answers. Um, uh, let me just see where to jump in here. Um, how can the church be opposed to the creation of life? And of course, embryos are living human beings. Uh, why would God give us the intelligence to invent in vitro fertilization? Or why would he give a soul to those conceived by it if it were sinful? You know, um, without reading the Catholic Answers article, look what God has given us uh, the intelligence to do. He has not given us the intelligence to do evil. He's given us the intelligence to do good. But uh, we have turned from God by our free will and have chosen to do evil. Um, uh, someone writes in, I have a child conceived through in vitro fertilization, and he is the most wonderful thing in my life. The church is just wrong here. That's what someone writes. Um, and uh, Catholic Answer says, comments such as these, wrapped up as they often are with powerful emotions, show how the church's prohibition of IVF in vitro fertilization may be the single hardest teaching for Catholics to understand and accept. There are other Catholic moral teachings that radically contradict the spirit of the age. Of course, for example, the prohibition of abortion and contraception, or the insistence on a natural definition of marriage that includes sexual complementarity, uh, fidelity, and permanence. <clears throat> but although those teachings have their dissenters, um, the, the author of this article who is uh, uh, Todd Aglialoro, it looks like. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that on the Catholic Answers website. He says, although those teachings have their dissenters, I'd wager that most Catholics can at least see in them 
a basic reasonableness. They prescribe things that violate life or that offend our natural sense that human love should be generous, self-giving, and ordered to the family. Not everyone may agree with such teachings or succeed in living up to them at all times, but they still get it. The teaching on IVF in vitro fertilization is harder to grasp. It creates human life. It makes babies for people who want to love and care for them. How can this be bad? Isn't the church, after all, in favor of life? So how can we explain this hard teaching to others, Catholics and non-Catholics, in a way that speak, speaks to the reasons why so many people refuse to accept it and that shows compassion for the painful burden of infertility? And um, he offers, the author offers four points to keep in mind. First, I know I'm going to take time on this, beloved, but it is so urgent and so important. Um, life, number one, is a gift. It's not a right. We do not have a right to life. It is a gift. Children are a lot of work. They are expensive. They're messy. They eat time and poop uh, uh, and poop worry, as I once heard it aptly put. But they also are wonderful. They can bring spiritual, emotional, and biological fulfillment. And sometimes we can fall into a trap of thinking that we are due such fulfillment because we want it so badly, or because we have so much love to give, or because we faithfully followed God's rule book by getting married and opening ourselves to life. But no one is ever due another human person. God gives life as a pure gift, not as something owed. Indeed, as the Congregation of Doctrine and Faith, Instruction, Donum Vitae put it, it is not parents who have rights here, but the child, specifically the right to be the fruit of the specific act of the conjugal love of his parents, and the right to be respected as a person from the moment of his conception. Once we understand this, and I think he says most people upon reflection can see it, we see some of the justification for in vitro fert uh, fertilization vanish. And that statement, beloved, is an absolutely sh absolute shock to the pro-choice, pro-abortion segment of society. I'm going to reread that. No one is ever due another human person. God gives life as a pure gift, not as something owed. Um, the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith uh, has taught through the uh, encyclical Donum Vitae, D-O-N-U-M, Vitae, life, V-I-T-A-E, put it. it is, this is so important, dear ones. It is not parents who have rights here, but the child specifically. Tell that to the abortion industry. Specifically, the child has the right to be the fruit of the specific act of the conjugal love of his parents. And the child has the right to be respected as a person from the moment of his conception, which means the parents have no right. The mother has no right to abort a child. Zero. It is the child who from God has
has the right to be respected and brought to birth. So the first point is life is a gift, not a right. The second point is doing justice to the creator. God does not owe us children, but we do owe him something, obedience to his moral law, which as Catholics, we believe the church communicates without error. It is God's right to require that the transmission of life be the natural consequence of the conjugal act, or to put it another way, that it flow naturally from the love between husband and wife who cooperate with God as co-creators by calling into existence new persons with immortal souls and eternal destinies. In vitro fertilization, which substitutes the clinical collection of sperm and eggs for the marital act and technological intervention for the natural cooperation between God and couples fails to give God his due. This is the essence of what we call sin. And the author here says, by space uh, in this article, he is limited um, to quoting much of Donum Vitae, but um, you can read it. You can find it on the web, on the Vatican's website, and he recommends particularly reading numbers four through six on this. Some people argue that God nonetheless give the gifts of life, gives, gives the gift of life to persons created through artificial means. They are not zombies or robots. They are full human beings with immortal souls that God specially created. Doesn't that mean he approves? That's a huge question, beloved. I've had that question myself. It's true that God has chosen to bind himself to holding up his end of creating new human life whenever the bare biological conditions are met, whether through natural intercourse or through IVF, whether through a selfless act of married love or an act of fornication or even rape. Unless you want to say that God also approves of fornication or rape, though, it does not follow that he approves of every act that results in new life. The third point is unintended consequences. The church's teaching on IVF, in vitro fertilization, is based first and foremost on the immorality of the act itself. But in many cases, there are side issues that would take it, that would make it problematic even if it were not itself immoral. In most cases, the sperm is obtained via, excuse me, if there are children present, you might want to turn them away at the moment on this. I should have said that earlier. In most cases, the sperm is obtained via masturbation, which in itself is immoral and thus not permissible even to achieve a good end. It's not just immoral, beloved, it's a mortal sin. It's a grave sin. IVF technology is not accessible only to married couples, but is also put to the service of deliberate single parenthood, surrogacy, same sex, and poly polyamorous parenting, experiments, embryonic stem cell research, human clothing and uh, human cloning and eugenics, and other arrangements that offend basic human rights and dignity, 
it allows for the complete divorce of love and procreation using technology to make human life a commodity. Beloved, I've not read this article before and it's absolutely outstanding. It answers everything about abortion, euthanasia, every violation of life uh, and the dignity of life is outstanding. And I'm going to continue this um, when we come back to answer that grandmother's question on how she could help her daughter with the frozen embryos that have been kept for 11 years. We'll be right back, beloved. Call in again with anything on your heart, toll free, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. beloved this is mother miriam many of you are familiar with mother miriam live but i wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the station of the cross such as the catholic current father robert mctagg discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m eastern you can listen anytime to the catholic current as a podcast on the iCatholic radio mobile app Did you know that an unwanted car or truck can make a great gift? When the time comes to purchase a new one, consider donating your old car or truck to the Station of the Cross. We have a quick and simple way for you to get rid of your unwanted vehicle while supporting the solid Catholic programming you love listening to on your radio, online, and through your mobile devices. Whether they run or not, we accept cars, trucks, RVs, boats, and motorcycles. It's a great opportunity for you to give more than you might normally be able to. At the same time, you'll be clearing out space in your garage or driveway, ridding yourself of an unwanted vehicle. Just visit us online at thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS, 1-866-628-2277. May God bless you for your generosity in support of Catholic Radio. I'm Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That verse shattered me. I stopped everyone on the street, Jim. I said, excuse me, you know there's a God. You know you can know him. I wanted a ladder tall enough to reach the moon to tell the world that there's a Savior. That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Uh, We are um, answering a question still from a grandmother on IVF in vitro uh, fertilization. Um, Let me just see if um, uh, uh, we have, let me just take a call from Valerie, uh, from Virginia first. Hi, Valerie. Good morning, Mother. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, dear one. How about yourself? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good, honey. 
Um, first, I, I just wanted to thank you for turning us on to the Catechism Explained. Uh, it's it's such a treasure. <laughs> oh, I'm so um, glad you got it and, and believe that. Very, very good, Valerie. Thank you. Um, my question is, it, it, it's a short one. I don't know if you know if you know about this, but uh, it came to my understanding that Pope Francis has come out and said now that the SSPX is not in schism. I know. I saw that headline yesterday, but I didn't read the article, so I um, I don't know if he made a pronouncement freeing them from schism or just uh, gave his opinion that they were not in schism. So do you know that? Did you read it? No, no, I did not. I saw that, um, I saw uh, uh, when I was at work yesterday, when I was doing my work, I, I listened to a podcast from Kennedy Hall, who was saying, you know, basically telling people, you know, that they need to stop now because the Pope has said they are in schism. And I know a while ago that, that, uh, that they are not in schism, the Pope said, but I know mm -hmm. a while ago, you know, Michael Voris was saying that three popes, Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, and Pope Francis, has said they're in schism. So it, you know, it's kind of confusing, all of this that's going on. <laughs> it certainly is, Valerie. It certainly is. Um, again, um, Pope Benedict XVI did lift the uh, excommunications uh, of the four bishops, but for some reason, never said that they were not in schism. Um, and Pope Francis uh, had given them special faculties. Uh, was it during the year of mercy? I forget exactly when, a couple of years ago, to hear confessions um, and to perform marriages and so forth. Well, he wouldn't have needed to do that unless they were in schism. So uh, this is confusing because if he didn't make a statement that they are out of schism now or he's taking them out, I don't know how all of a sudden he'll say they're not in schism. So it's like many other things that this pope has done, there's tremendous confusion about it. But I'll read the article and uh, hopefully um, good people will comment on it so we could have more clarity. Sure, that would be great, and I don't want to. I don't want to take up any more of your time because you're what you're. Um, what I was listening to on the phone, or you know, and I'll get to hear the whole program on Monday. But yes. I don't have internet at home or anything. But is very important, and I understand that with the IVF and everything. So indeed, um, in listening to you, I thought, wow, the article that she is reading is wonderful. <laughs> it is. It truly is, and anybody could get it on Catholic.com. Just type in uh, IVF, in vitro fertilization, and you'll be able to get it. It's oh, very, okay. very good. All okay, right, well, Valerie, bless you, dear. That. Thank you so much, okay. and God bless God you. God bless you. Thank you. So, beloved, just two more points on um, the IVF. Um, uh, that uh, it, The IVF in vitro fertilization procedures often result in multiple embryos being transferred to the uterus. It's an expensive process, after all, the do and doctors want to maximize its potential for success. In many cases, multiple embryos survive in the mother's womb, leading to the temptation, perhaps under pressure from doctors or spouses, or perhaps by the woman's design to undergo, this is horrible, selective reduction, that is the aborting of superfluous embryos. Embryos that are not implanted are often frozen 
for future attempts or donated for research. In the U.S. alone, there are many hundreds of thousands such tiny human uh, persons. They're persons, beloved. When this woman says she has frozen uh, embryos for 11 years, she has freezing persons consigned to frozen storage, just like you consign things to storage or set aside for experimentation, radically against their innate dignity. Now, um, the grandmother who wrote in wants to uh, help her granddaughter uh, with what to do with these frozen embryos because the couple doesn't want to do anything with them. And all they want is the two children they have from natural um, relations. And so, um, number one, I say if those, if that couple um, is Catholic, they are in grave sin uh, uh, by uh, not wanting children, by not being open to life to begin with. Um, there's another article on Catholic.com, Can Frozen Embryos Be Saved? Um, let, me, uh, let me see how much of this I can read, beloved. It's so urgent. In all the news coverage on embryonic stem cell research, little has been said regarding an equality and perhaps more grave moral matter, equally and perhaps more grave moral uh, matter. If it is wrong to use human embryos for experimental research, then what is to be done with these often unwanted frozen children? They're frozen children, dear ones. The Catholic Church teaches that life begins at conception. And dearest, the Catholic Church teaches it because it's true. It's from God. The embryo is therefore a person. And there are thousands of them in fertilization clinics all over the world. Now, if your grandchild, your granddaughter, uh, said that we have 11 uh, frozen children, it might strike her rather than saying embryos. Um, if abortion uh, were uh, termed murder, I want to murder the child in my womb, a mother would think twice. If we use the correct wording, an embryo is a person, and there are thousands of them in fertilization clinics all over the world. Can their lives be saved when we know that the only way to do so is by implanting them in a woman's womb, an act condemned as immoral by the Catholic Church? The quandary began in England in 1978 when scientists were able, by a process known as in vitro fertilization, IVS, IVF, to produce a human being in a laboratory petri dish. In vitro, in Latin, means literally in glass. Since then, thousands of babies have been born utilizing this method of genetic manipulation, many of them to couples and even single people who could conceive no other way. Consequently, IVF has been applauded in the media. It's purely evil, beloved. But rarely until recently have we been told of the horrors that also results from IVF. If, for example, a poll were taken regarding the fate of frozen embryos, those so-called spares unwanted by their own parents, one would find there is much confusion about the issue. Some believe there should be no question that they should be saved using any means available. 
How could it not be right to do so? The Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, CDF, having been approached for moral clarity concerning the late, oh dear ones, I, I'm just, I, I wish I, God could extend our program right now. Um, dear grandmother, I'm going to pick this up uh, on the next program. But the next program, beloved, on Monday begins the Station of the Cross's fun drive for the entire week. I want to urge you or beg you uh, to be a great, great part of this. The world is falling apart. Banks are collapsing. We don't know what the future is going to bring right now. And the most valuable thing, the most heroic thing we can do right now is support the Station of the Cross and Catholic Radio to get the whole gospel without compromise out to the whole world. Have a blessed weekend. Speak with you.